0: I do want to now uh, get us into God's word, so you can open up your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter twenty. Second Chronicles chapter twenty is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand; we'll get one to you. Second um, Chronicles is kind of buried in the middle of your your Old Testament, so I'll give you a moment to find it. And I got a lot I'm going to be reading, but it's. It's all in narrative, and it's a pretty amazing story. So we're going to begin with where we started last week and actually um, read down through verse 30. So Second uh, Chronicles 20, verses 1 through 30. We'll read it, pray, and then we'll get moving for this morning. After this, the Moabites and Namanites, and with them some of the Maonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord, from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations and your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and will cry out to you in our affliction. You will hear and save. All Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold... They will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jehoel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. That's where we ended last week. Let's keep reading. If you're with me, verse 20. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. As they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. Would come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon, Moab, and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground, none had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil, it was so much. On the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Barakah, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of that place has been called the valley of Barakah to this day. Then they returned, Every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord, and the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. If you're not asleep, I commend you. Good job. That was probably the longest text I've ever read in here. Everyone's eyes are still, you got some of you are glazed over, but it's an amazing story. We're going to dive into it in a moment, but would you pray with me? God, I. God, we want to see you do in our midst what you've done so many times for your people through the ages and what you do for Jehoshaphat and Judah here. God, we want to trust you. Whatever trials, whatever things we're facing, whatever stuff we've got going on, we want to trust you. We want to walk with you. We want to step out by faith and you know, trusting our God. And we want to watch you Fight on our behalf. We want to watch you get the victory. We want to watch you move and we want to celebrate what our King has done. So, Lord, we invite you into this place. We ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would minister to us your word, that where we need to be comforted, we would be comforted. Where we need to be convicted, we would be convicted. Where we need assurance, you would bring in assurance. God, and if there are any even in this place that need your salvation, that need to see even for the first time the great victory won for them by Christ on the cross, I pray today would be the day. God, we ask that you would meet us. We ask that you would come and be glorified in our time together. Build our lives on your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, uh, I got a lot, uh, it, it, that was a big text and I got a lot I want to say about it. Um, but just to kind of catch us up to speed, this is now the, the kind of second week of, or second really, the closing Sunday of our week of prayer and the second part of this two part sermon series I was doing on this text here in Second Chronicles. The title of the uh, sermon, um, if you recall, is, uh, you know, stop, drop, and roll, what to do when your world catches fire. And I, I get the title from um, something that I imagine many of us, you know, back when we were kids, you know, elementary school, at least I know through the 80s and 90s, they were teaching, you know, hey, here's what you need to do if ever you catch fire. Right. And if ever you should, you know, your, 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 your clothes should, should, should catch fire, we want you to know what to do. We've all heard these steps probably, but it's been kind of drilled into our, our little elementary school minds. You stop, you drop, and you roll. But last time I took a poll on how many have actually had to make use of this information. And thankfully, it is good news. None of us has actually had to use it. Uh, we may be ready just in case the the blouse catches fire or the shirt catch. We know exactly what to do, but we've never had to use it. And so, one of the things I said last time is perhaps uh, some of us have gotten a little bit uh, jaded about. It. Some of us got even a little bitter. Like what? Why was that so important? It seems a little unnecessary. None of us are putting this to good use. And if that's you, let me just say, uh, prepare to see the payoff for all those years of, of instruction and inculcation. Because, though you may not have ever had to use uh, the, those three steps in a literal sense, this morning I think what we're going to see is that we actually do need to put those steps to use only now in a spiritual sense. I think there are spiritual fires that we face all the time, day after day. Last time I I, I said, it's essentially what Peter talks about in 1 Peter 4.12 when he writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Fiery trial. Anybody in any trials right now that are just burning you up? You got any of those? My guess is yes you do. Peter says, don't be surprised, and yet when the fires come, oftentimes we're disoriented and we're left kind of wondering, what do I do about this? Well, thank you elementary school teacher. I think according to 2nd Chronicles 20, we start to see what we're supposed to do and you can watch as it divides up into those three basic steps of stop drop, and roll. What does Jehoshaphat, what, what does Jehoshaphat and Judah do when it seems the world all around them has caught fire and three of these enemy nations have coalesced and are converging upon them? They stop, they drop, and they roll. I want to learn from them so that when trials come for us, when the When the world around us catches fire, we may be equipped and ready to do the same. Now, last time, we looked at those first two steps in particular. uh, And I'll just very briefly recount it. But in verses 1 through the first part of verse 3, we saw the first thing that they do. When when everything is going wrong, the first thing that they do is stop. We read in verse 3 there, Jehoshaphat was afraid and... Rather than scramble about and try to find some solution, go and make an alliance with some other uh, nation, you know, sacrifice to some other gods, rather than scramble around, he just said, let's stop. We're told that he set his face to seek the Lord. He stopped. And in verses 3, latter half through verses 19, we saw that Jehoshaphat dropped. And all of Judah, because all Judah together, and, and together they just kind of drop before the Lord. They stop any of their self-effort, any of their, any of their stuff, let's get our plans, they say, stop, we're going to seek the Lord. They drop down before Him. They, they rehearse, they reflect upon His Word. They give themselves over to prayer, and they fast and cry out for God's uh, Word and God's deliverance, God's help. They stop and they drop. And then now as we come to verses 20 through 30, which is really what we're going to focus on this morning, we see that they, they then go on to what I would say, roll. And what I mean by roll, hopefully, is, is, is kind of clear. Uh, um, it's this idea of just simply rolling out. Rolling out on what God has said by faith, that they're not just gonna sitting on their, their faces, you know, in their little prayer closet, this nice little safe zone where they feel all warm and fuzzy with God's presence, but they actually, they actually roll out, they actually move out on what God is revealing to Him, or to them. And um, this is really what we are going to have uh, on our agenda uh, this morning. We're going to consider this idea of w- w- rolling out. What does it mean, after we've stopped and we've dropped, to roll on out for the Lord? And I'm going to divide this into three points for our consideration. First, we see that this rolling out involves getting up and going. They get up and they go. That's verse 20. And then we see that they, they worship as a way of war, as a way of keeping them on track. They, they engage in worship as this way of, of waging war, verses 21 through 23. And then we see, thirdly, that they, they see the salvation of the Lord, verses 24 through 30. They just watch as God uh, does all that He said He would do and more. So first, they get up and go... There in verse twenty, the people of Judah, um, at Jehoshaphat's command, now have stopped. They have dropped. They have prayed. They have fasted. They sought the Lord together. They they assembled there uh, in Jerusalem, there in the temple. They all came and they sought God. And we're told that as a result. The spirit of the Lord in the midst of the assembly comes upon this guy named Jehaziel. And a word is given him uh, for Jehoshaphat and the people. And I want to real quickly bring out a couple of things about this word that God gives to this prophet for his people. Because the first thing that opens up there in verse 15 is is this, this wonderful promise And we like this. Uh, we hear him say this. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but God's. And then he kind of reiterates that point down in verse 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Let's just be clear. This is not your war to fight. God is going to do it, not you. You don't even need to come with your, with your armor. You don't need to bring any sword. Nothing. This battle doesn't belong to you. It's mine. And we hear that, and we say, yes and amen, hallelujah, you fight, that sounds good. We'll be back here popping open the champagne, we'll throw a good party on your behalf, we'll stay up late into the night celebrating what you have done, and we'll sleep in in the morning. This sounds good. The battle belongs to the Lord. Yes. hallelujah, Amen. But it doesn't stop there. That's not all that the prophet says. That's not the sum total of the word God gives to his people here, is it? Even though the battle is God's, there in verses 16 and 17, we see that God still tells them, they must go. (laughs) They got to they got to suit up and step out. They, they got to get up and go. Verse 17, I'll just read you that one. Tomorrow, go out against them. The battle is the Lord's. You don't need to fight. No worries at all, but get up and go. And you say, God's telling us now, I, I'm sorry, but you got to put that champagne away. Say, put, put it in the fridge. Save it for tomorrow. You're going to need it tomorrow. You're going to need it tomorrow night. But there's going to be no sleeping in tomorrow. I need you to get up early. And I need you to go out against them. I need you to trust me. I need you to to, to walk out by faith. But again, let's be clear. It's not because I want you to fight. It's because I want you to watch as I fight on your behalf. It's because I want to grow in this trust relationship with you. It's because I want you to to, to lean in on me and roll out, even, even though it seems like I'm leading you into the fire. You trust me? Get up and go. So, in other words, brothers and sisters, their job here is not to fight with force against their enemy. Their job instead is to fight for faith in their God. There is a battle. Make no mistake. He is calling them to war. Make no mistake. It's just not against not against their physical enemy here. It's not against this, this coalition of enemy nations here. It's not fight by force against your enemies. It's fight for faith in your God as He fights your enemies on your behalf. So there is a battle that they are being called into and there's a battle that you and I are being called into as well. And it's what Paul talks about in, in texts like 1 Timothy 6:12 when he says he's exhorting Timothy and he says fight the good fight of the faith. Or talking about his himself and his own life later in 2 Timothy 4:7, Paul writes this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. So there is this battle that we are called into as we roll out, but it is not to wield the sword here. It is to trust that God is wielding the sword on our behalf, that God goes before us, that the battle is His. Make no mistake, it takes an awful lot of warfare to get to the place where you're ready to walk with God towards the fire, trusting Him. So what we see is this idea that God may give the promise, but in some sense, we have to reach up and take it. In some sense, we have to walk out on it. We, we have to trust Him for it. And this is why Jehoshaphat goes on in verse 20 now. All this was to kind of set us up to move into verse 20. This is why he goes on to exhort the people as he does there in verse 20. Uh, we read this, the, the people rose early in the morning. And they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, "This is his this is his his call to arms, if you will." He says, "Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord, your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed." It's not Get your swords, get your ammunition, get your stuff, get your nunchuck, whatever you got, bring it out. No, it's get ready to fight for faith. Believe in the Lord, believe what God has spoken through Jehaziel. Trust, listen, we have stopped, we have dropped, it's time to roll out. In accordance with, in trust uh, with, of that word, that God has given us. We know who He is. We've heard from Him. Now, do we trust Him? Even though all our senses, even though our eyes, our ears, we're going to see things that seem contrary. And we're stepping into stuff that by all accounts seems like a horrible idea. Can we walk with Him in obedience towards that? Trusting that the battle is His, not mine. And we're going to watch Him fight on our behalf now we might say we like the idea of of stopping and dropping I could get used to that I could get used to okay when the trials come when the fires come I'm gonna stop I got that one I'm gonna drop I like to pray I can even fast from time to time that feels all right but the idea of then stepping out of that prayer closet that just feels horrifying just feels scary it's the same sort of thing Jesus is doing all over the place. God's doing all over the place. You think of Peter, right? He calls him to get out on the water. I like, no, I get it. You're strong. I don't want to go. <laughs> but as you step, right, there's this relationship of trust. It's, it's this, this growing uh, faith, this fight for faith. And you're gonna, developing this relationship with your Savior. As you move, not just stay frozen. It doesn't take much faith, actually, to stay in the prayer closet. But when you get that word, when God gives you or to walk out in that, that's hard. But as you do, that's what's going to develop this relationship with him as you watch him provide, as grace is given to you in the going, as I've sometimes said before, meets you in that place as you step out by faith in him. Now, just to give us a few examples of this, because I'm aware that that there are going to be times when God will say things to you, and in the moment, you just won't be able to see how it's true. You just won't feel ready to walk on that, walk out on that, to trust in that, to roll out with that. Think with me, for example. I imagine that there are some of you in this place that feel like, I have sinned my way out of the kingdom. Like, I've reached that limit. Oh, I know that we read, you know, God forgives, Jesus forgives, 70 times 7. Well, listen, I did the math, and I just did one more than that. I don't even know what 70 times 7 is, otherwise I'd say it. 490, 4,000, I don't know what. But I exceeded the limit. I have sinned myself outside of the kingdom. I did it again. I'm too filthy. I'm too hopeless. There is no way that God is still embracing me. I mean, how many times can the prodigal come back home? before he runs back and the Father's finally got his arms crossed, finds the welcome mat's been removed from the front of the door, and there's now a deadbolt that I don't have a key for anymore. It's over. And I don't want to come to church And sit in the assembly of the saints and sit around all these people who kind of seem like they're growing in faith and growing in godliness. Well, I'm just rolling round and round in the mud. No, thank you. Just makes me feel worse. I'm done. I'm out. Your life is on fire. So, what do you do? You stop. I got, I got this. I remember what Nick said. I remember what my elementary school said. You stop. You drop before the Lord. And the word comes. Titus 3, 5-7. God has saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by His grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You sit there in your prayer closet, you read that and you say, Me? Saved? Washed? Renewed, justified, heir? No way. How can it be? And yet the Spirit comes to you in those moments. Christ comes to you in those moments. It is. It's by grace. It's by mercy. It's not in accordance with your good works believe it trust me with it and you sit there and you fight for faith and you struggle with it and then you get up and you step out of your prayer closet and you walk and you roll so to speak and you show up at the church you know gathering the sunday service and you sit among the saints assured No, you don't belong here. Nobody does. But Christ has made us worthy. Christ has put that welcome out. Christ has opened the door. Christ has saved a wretch like me. And you sing louder than anyone else in this room because you get grace, perhaps at a level that no one else does. Justified. What? Amazing. I imagine some of us, to give us another example here, are in the midst of back-breaking trials. Stuff that nightmares are made of, right? A busted-up marriage, a wayward child, a lost job, cancer, again? Your world is on fire. What do you do? You stop, drop, down on your face before God, and the Word comes. Romans 8.28 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And you hear that there, the presence of God, and you say, good? This? For me? I don't see it. I don't get it. How can it be with the Spirit of Christ there with you in those moments? Says, Oh, but it is. Trust me. Believe me. Step out on it. And so you fight for faith. You cry and you yell and you sing and you scream and you journal and you do whatever you do, you fight. And you get up, and you step out of that prayer closet, and you walk, and you roll with the Lord. And even though man, everything still seems like it's on fire, even though everything still seems bad in your eyes, you walk out with the Lord in it, and maybe, just maybe, you start to experience what Paul talks about in Philippians, that Peace that surpasses understanding, that comes because God is with you in the valley. You don't know how, but you sense it. And maybe in time you get a little bit of those kind of hindsight views where you look back and go, Oh, I see it. I see some of the good that you were doing, even in the midst of that horrifying situation. And you grow in your relationship with God and this relationship of trust. You watch Him move. You stop, drop, and you roll. Now, this whole idea, obviously, I'm trying to (laughs) express it in such a way that we get it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. I mean, when Jehoshaphat and his boys step out and they start walking towards these, you know, these armies. I mean that takes incredible it's either ins, it, it's insane that's what it is. It's so contrary to our senses. In in one sense it's reasonable because God is with us and that sounds great until you see the enemies and then you oh my goodness is he really? I don't know. I'm scared. Cuz in another sense it seems insane. What are you doing? Everyone runs away from fire. What are you doing walking towards it? It's going to require a lot. This fight for faith, this rolling out is going to require us to pull out every strategy we got if we're going to keep keep going, keep on track with Jesus. And that's what we actually start to see uh, Jehoshaphat kind of leads us into next. Because Jehoshaphat knows this. He knows his boys are going to struggle. He's going to struggle. And he knows we are going to have to fight. We're going to have to use every strategy we got. So we come to part or point number two verses 21 through 23, and we see that they worship as a way of waging war. They worship as a way of waging war. After exhorting them to fight for faith in verse 20, we come to verse 21 and we read this. "And When, they had, or when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. As they went before the army and he told them to say, give thanks to the Lord. This is what they're singing. This is what Jehoshaphat says. I need you to go in front of us and sing this. (laughs) Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, I wonder if you see what's going on here. It's an amazing picture. It's an amazing visual of what we are uh, called to do in this in this war. But but everything about it seems backwards at first, right? You, you, you look and you say, okay, wait a minute. As far as I'm aware, an army should be going out in front. The soldier, I mean, the enemy's right there. You don't put the singers on the front lines. You don't put the singers on the front lines. They're not wielding any weapon in this war. Where are they? You put the soldiers up front. Not Jehoshaphat. He puts the singers in the front lines before the soldiers. He knows the battle that they are fighting. It's not the battle against their enemies, it's the battle for faith in their God. Or think about this also. This just seems backwards. You don't don't say, hey, let's all give thanks for the victory before you've got the victory. I mean, the celebration, the, the 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 joy, the rejoicing comes on the far side of triumph, right? Like, that's how it works in, in, in the Exodus. They're freaking out on the near side of the Red Sea, you know, parting and all of that. They're freaking out on the far side of that deliverance, Exodus 15. They're singing. That makes sense. We get that. This seems backwards. It seems out of touch. Go before the army and I want you to say thank you, God, for this victory that we don't have. And the enemies are looking in and go, man, these guys are going to be easier than we thought. They're crazy. It's like those videos. Have you ever seen those videos? of? of um I went back and searched through some of them. Where, you know, you got like the premature celebrations of athletes <laughs> in their competitions, right? You've seen these things where, like, the runner is going, and and she's got she in the crowd's already going. She's going, yeah, what's up? And she starts to do a little dance. And then meanwhile, the one one little gritty little girl who's just, you know, she's like going, not giving up, beats her to the tape. And the last second, just go, oh my, I'm a fool. What was I thinking? Is that? Is that what we're doing here? And you obviously know the answer. The answer is no. It looks like that until you factor in who our God is, what He has said, and what He is calling us to do. Our God, as we uh, as Jehoshaphat prayed, he, he listen, he's over all the nations. No one can uh, resist his hand. That's our God. And then he says, the battle is mine. I just need you to walk out and trust me to believe. And now all of a sudden we're getting it. Jehoshaphat is putting out the singers up in front to sing thanks to God as a way of helping his people fight for faith in the battle that is not theirs but God's. And they're fighting that part that is theirs to play, the fight for faith. The Fight for faith. So why? I want to ask the question then, because I think we can glean a lot out of this. Why do we sing? I mean, we can learn a lot about why the church gathers together and, and, and sings. What is that? Is it just kind of artsy little entertainment, nice little kind of change of pace between the, the two long sermon that this guy gives and at least we get some time to, you know, whatever, dance or something? Is that, is that why we sing? What is it all? We can learn something from, from here about why, why we gather and we sing to the Lord together. It says I put it in the heading. I think musical worship is a way of waging war. We see it clear, clear as day. I think in our text, it's it's a way of waging war. And I want to bring out two ways that this warfare uh, in our singing kind of plays out. If I have time, we'll see. Yeah, um, the first is this: our singing makes an impression. Our singing makes an impression. And when I'm talking about this impression, I'm not talking about making an impression on those who hear us. Okay, I'm not talking about, "Hey, that was a good voice. I'm impressed. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the way that our singing to God, or in this case, saying, thanks to God, your steadfast love, and yours forever. That has a way, not just of kind of coming out of us, expressing something to God, but it actually has a way of wrapping back around and putting something in us impressing a truth on our heart that maybe wasn't there before, but as we engage in singing, as we move out and we sing uh, these truths, we find that they start to actually uh, press in on our hearts. I think we're familiar with the idea of singing as expression. That's the Exodus 15 I'm talking about. Or the guy who sees the girl he loves and in an overflow, he's saying, I love you, honey, you're beautiful, your eyes are like whatever. You know, He's expressing what's in his heart. We think of music that way. But what we see here with Jehoshaphat and Judah is that this musical worship is not just kind of going out from our heart. It is actually intended to put something in our heart as well. It's a part of this fight for faith. It's how we get the truths of God into me. So I start to feel it and and, and believe it and, and move out with it. Now, this may be somewhat of a foreign concept, and you may even be a little bit turned off by the idea. Um, I know for me, there's a period of time there where I felt like, no, 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 I, I don't want to do anything like that, because it seems hypocritical. You know, I, I, it seems uh, disingenuous. It seems like I'm kind of faking it. I don't really feel it but i'm just kind of faking i'll sing and put the smile on and do the christian thing and ours is the day and age where man we we hate that sort of thing we exalt kind of i'm just being raw just being real just telling you how i feel just you know, what i feel is ultimate and 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 that's that's the truth and that's where i kind of live and don't tell me to be you know out of out of line with what i feel So we kind of exalt what we feel and we we don't like the idea of of, of going contrary to that in any way. It feels hypocritical. It feels like the plastic Christianity thing. It feels like a, a, a spiritualized version of fake it till you make it. We don't like that. But we come to our text and we realize it is a part of the fight for faith. It is, in fact, a critical way that we fight for faith. It is one of the ways that we say, listen, with my head, I know these truths about God. Anybody there? I know these truths about God, but I don't always feel them. I don't always, uh, I'm not always experiencing faith in them. I'm struggling. I know objectively, you know, God's Word says this, I don't feel aligned with that. What do you do when you're in that place? What are your options? If you've bought into this idea that it's hypocrisy to, to, to sing or to do these things until you feel it, well, then you just sit there and wait and hope for God comes and intervenes because you're not going to be untrue to yourself. But what the Scriptures say here is, listen, I'll tell you what you do in the face of the, uh, uh, of those sorts of feelings. You, You stand up against them, you lean into them, and you sing with all that you have. You make war. Your singing is a declaration of war in those moments. I will not sit down. I will not wallow in the ground like my God is unworthy. I will rise up like a rebel and I will sing. I mean, that's kind of like what I think it's Psalm 42, Psalm 43, when the psalmist says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God! You're looking at yourself going, What is wrong with my feelings? What is wrong with... God is worthy. You will yet praise Him. Go! You'll perhaps grant me the idea that we walk by faith and not by sight. Right? That, that's biblical. That comes straight out of 2 Corinthians 5.7. We walk by faith, not by sight. We sometimes are not going to see what we are trusting God for. But just allow me the extension of that, which is right here. We walk by faith and not always by feeling. That if you just kind of go with what you feel, it's going to get you in all sorts of trouble. But instead, we come to God's word. Listen, that word came to us from Jehaziel. I don't want to go. But I know God is stronger. I know God is mightier. I know God says the battle is his. I don't want to go. All right, let's put the singers up in front. It's giving thanks to God. And let's sing as we walk and perhaps tremble (laughs) at the same time. give you some examples of this from the scriptures um you may be familiar with ephesians five, uh, nineteen, where paul he's calling believers he's saying listen when you get together and things i want you to address one another in song i want you to sing with and even to one another psalms hymns spiritual songs Musical worship, that's what sort of he said. So I want you to do that. Now, I wonder if you noticed the context. Have you ever noticed the context of that exhortation? Let me read this to you. Ephesians 5, 15 through 20. Look carefully then, Paul writes, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And here it is. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In case you missed it, I'll I'll, I'll bring it out clearly for you here. The context is this. The days are evil. It's a bad day. It's a war. It's not good. The days are evil. That's the context. And in light of that context comes the exhortation. Therefore, sing! (laughs) Therefore, get in the face of that evil day and sing with all that you have. Sing as if your life depends on it because in some ways... It does. And let's be clear. This is not merely whistling past the graveyard. You've heard that phrase. like We're just going to kind of make ourselves feel comfortable while we pass horrifying realities that we don't want to face. We're just kind of in denial, distracting ourselves from it. Right? It's not whistling past the graveyard. That's not what these songs are. These songs are saying... It, Let's press into ultimate reality. Oh, I know what we see. The world is on fire all around us. But our God will ultimately get the victory. Therefore, let's press through this stuff and the subjectivity, the things that we feel, into objective reality where our God will win. Let's fight for faith in that. Let's sing about that. This is not denial. This is not distraction. This is pressing towards ultimate reality. Even though we feel like we're falling apart. It's a declaration of war. Uh, I imagine it's something of this sort that Paul himself and Silas are doing in that Philippian jail cell at, at midnight. I don't know if you remember the story, but... Um, earlier in the day, Paul and Silas had been sharing the gospel in the city, stirring things up to such a degree that, that uh, it's not appreciated. And, and they're thrown kind of in the dungeon, if you will, there in Philippi, uh, only after they'd been stripped and beaten by the mob around them and the magistrates there in the town. And their feet are locked into these stocks there. And, and they're sitting there in the dark. You're just going to put yourself there. What would you be doing at that point? I'll tell you what they're doing. They're praying and singing hymns to God, Acts 16.25. Now, to be, to be clear, I, I I didn't make the connection between this and 2 Chronicles 20. It was another... Pastor who helped me see this. Because I, on my first read of this with, in Acts 16, I just thought, man, these guys are superhuman. These guys are amazing. Nothing can phase them. They're just like, woo! They're just singing. They're still full of joy. And I don't think that's what's happening here now as I consider it again. I, of course they're amazing. Of course this is inspiring. But I think what they're doing is go, man, everything looks bad. Everything looks dark. I gotta sing. To try to impress on my heart the things I know to be true with my head. They are fighting, I think, the good fight of faith in those moments. It's interesting, but I think this is actually probably what Jesus Himself is doing in Matthew 26.30. We're told that after the Passover, after He shares the Last Supper there with His disciples... Um, and he talks to him about his death, and he talks to him about the betrayal, and he talks to him about all the stuff that's coming and the shadow of the cross, now so heavy upon him. Gethsemane, just hours away. Crucifixion, just hours away. What does he do? What does he do after, after sharing this meal with them? We're told that Jesus sung a hymn. He sings in the face of this evil day and these trials and this hardship. And what's crazy, you guys, is uh, scholars think that probably what they were singing there is the last few Psalms of what's called the Hallel that they always, uh, sung at the time of Passover. And these Psalms in particular, they sung after that Passover meal. Psalms 15 through, uh, 115 through 118 probably was the hymn that we're talking about here. And do you want to know what the last verse in, 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 in Psalm 118 is? What would be the last perhaps lyric on Jesus' lips before he heads out to Gethsemane and he, and, and he heads, uh, towards the cross? Wanna know what the last lyric would be? The exact same lyric that Jehoshaphat is calling his people to sing in our text back in 2 Chronicles 20. This is Psalm 1:18-29. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Jesus is singing that, knowing that in a few moments, Judah's is going to come for Him. And his father's wrath is going to be poured out on him. Give thanks. You are good. He is fighting for faith. He is waging war in those moments. Help me hold on. Help me trust. It's amazing. Some of you have heard now, I think, how our last worship leader um, Sally and her husband Josh had to move to Austin for work, right? And I've shared with you, we've prayed as a church. You guys have been incredible in supporting them still, um, even though they're at a distance. Um, but you know how she was pregnant, uh, like six or seven months pregnant when they moved, and a couple days before her due date, complications took place, and baby's dead, right? Baby's dead. What do you do, what do you do when the womb becomes a grave? What do you do when your child's birthday and your child's funeral collide into one and the same horrifying day? What do you do when you finally get released from the hospital and you somehow have to muster up the courage to walk down the hall by the baby's room that you had prepared for your little girl? There's a crib in there, but there's no child. What do you do on that day? How do you get through it? What do you? Where do you even begin? What do you do? How do you keep rolling on with the Lord, trusting Him, serving Him, living for Him? i tell you one of the things you do. You sing. You sing through the bitterness and the anger and the devastation until you feel... Until the truths of God you still know with your head are at last impressed once more on your heart. When I got news that this happened, when Joshua texted me and I talked with him on the phone later that or maybe it was the next day, I think I sent Celia a song. I know she's 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 a worship leader. She loves music. I thought I'm gonna give her I've s I gotta find her a song to sing and i sent her the song though you slay me by shane and shane it's a line it's based on a line taken from job 13:15 and shane bernard wrote it when his dad died uh way too young i guess i don't know the full story but he's dealing with the pain of that loss and the chorus of that song goes like this though you slay me Yet I will praise you, though you take from me, I will bless your name, though you ruin me, still I will worship, sing a song to the one who's all I need. Now I sent that to Sally, and I didn't hear anything back. I was like, Oh, I hope that wasn't too much, I don't know. And she texted me back a couple days later and actually asked if I could give or if I had her permission to read her text to you this morning. She texted me back and said this This was one song I could never get myself to sing on like a Sunday. I just found the lyrics too hard. And I always feared they'd become real in my life. Well, it's now real and I can actually sing this song and say with complete confidence that even in the midst of this storm, we will continue to sing praises to him and will never let go of him. Megan just received a text this morning. She said, oh, I'm struggling so much. But I'll tell you, the one thing that helps is singing. And I'll just tell you guys, that right there is a worship leader. That's what worship is. That's why we sing. Not just when things are going well, but in the midst of the evil day, you put someone like that at the front of all your soldiers, of all your army, and said sing because we are fighting for faith in our God. Lead us in that. Now second thing, and this is in case you're worried, I'm going to be real quick on this last part here. First thing I said is our singing makes we sing to make an impression. On our hearts. But there's something else that does uh, happen as well we see in our text. Our singing unleashes an ambush. It unleashes an ambush. And I just want you to catch this. I'm not going to really meditate on it. But verses 22 and 23, when they began to sing in praise, note that. And when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir it is as they began to fight for faith by singing that the Lord not only shifts realities around inside of them, as perhaps faith was growing and affection for God and trust in His promises were starting to find their way in their hearts. But also, man, stuff is happening outside. It in a way unleashes the Spirit of God and moves things in the spiritual dimension. I just want to say that I think that's part of our warfare. We are singing, not just in the face of our trials, but, but in the face of Satan. And when the devil hears God's people start to sing the devil starts to flee. So this is why we sing as a church. We bring Brian or, or, or Peter, whoever it is up here, not to put on a show, but to encourage us in this war, to encourage all of us to lift our voices and sing and watch us. God shifts around our affections and attaches us to objective reality and also as He moves things out here for our good in accordance with his promise it's one of the strategies that keeps us getting up and going on keeps us rolling out but now we come to this third and final piece so they get up and they go they they, they wage war with this worship here and now third and finally we see in verses 24 through 30 that they see the salvation of the Lord I don't have time to go into all this I wish I did But the main thing I want to point out is actually quite simple. God did what he said he would do. And he did it in a way that I'm sure exceeded their wildest expectations and dreams. He gives us these little microcosms. Sometimes we can kind of see how it plays out and begin to apply it into our own lives where it's like, it feels like we're lost in the woods. Sometimes he gives us this overview like this. And we go, oh, I see. I see what you do. He does this with Job. Do you remember that? Job was horrible. And he ends up, re- I mean, read the, last, read the last few lines and how it ends for Job. It's this. Doing more than you could have thought in the midst of that pain. But let me let me let me show you this verses twenty four through twenty five in particular. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground; none had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. And I love this; they were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. It's awesome. It's a wonderful emphasis. There's almost this embarrassing blessing. Just this overwhelming blessing. And here's what we're supposed to see. They came in burdened under the weight of fear and anxiety. Joshua, this whole thing begins, I am afraid. They're on their face. They are burdened under the weight of fear and anxiety. And this whole thing ends now. They are burdened under the weight of God's blessing. Like, I can't carry all of this good stuff. This was crazy. They thought God was leading them, perhaps marching them out towards the fire to die. And instead he's saying, listen, there's going to be a lot of treasure and, and you're going to need all your men to go pick it up. They thought that, that they thought that these guys, these enemy nations, were going to be instruments of evil, instruments of oppression, instruments of their doom. And instead, God says, no, 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 they are going to be couriers of my blessing. I mean, I thought of that old hymn where it says, listen, fear, ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so oft dread are big with mercy and shall break. In blessing on your head. You look, you go, that is a storm. We better run. He said, No, blessing is coming. And it's really a picture of what happens with us in the gospel. I mean so much of the Old Testament just gives us these incredible, tangible pictures of, of gospel. And what we experience, what we receive, not merely physically, but but much more comprehensively in Christ, much more ultimately in Christ. I mean, you got to think, we come in burdened under the weight of condemnation and the curse, right? We come in burdened. We are facing the, 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 the coalition of three enemies as well that are converging upon us, right? Namely, Satan, sin, and death. It looks bleak. It looks hopeless. We are burdened under the weight of woe. But then God, in the Gospel, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, Takes that burden of woe and flips it; it becomes a burden of blessing. We can't even carry the blessing. It takes. It's going to take more than three days. It's going to take an eternity to figure out, to uncover all that God has given us freely in Jesus' acceptance by a holy God, justification. Counted righteous before Him. Adopted into His family. Co-heirs with Christ of the world. Eternal life. We're not talking about a few trinkets that we found on a dead soldier here. Don't be mistaken. We're not talking about getting wealthy with the world stuff. Build bigger barns. He says, that goes. He's saying, I am giving you something even more eternal. That's what we have in Christ. You come in burdened, and He just takes that burden and flips it to blessing on your head. And then we leave that place, we leave the cross, right, following behind, you know, our king at the head, headed to our father's home with a new song on our hearts. It's amazing. It's what God is doing with us. And so the next time your world catches fire and you go, I don't know what to do. I hope you at least remember, I can stop. I can drop. God help me. I can roll. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for this story of Your faithfulness to the saints in times past because we know You're a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as You were faithful to them, There you will be faithful to us here. And so Lord, I pray for us as a church. I pray for us individually as we face whatever it is we're facing. God, would you help us? Would you help us to stop? Would you help us to drop? And would you help us by faith to walk out? To roll on? To trust you and to grow ever deeper in our relationship with you? And to just watch as you work and bring blessing where we thought it was all going wrong. You're so good to us, Lord. We love You. We lift our voices to You now. We sing, perhaps not by feeling, <laughs> but by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.